This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Joining me in about 23 minutes uh, to talk about his presidential campaign and more. And a lot of people from time to time, I don't even know if he would shy away from this label. I suspect that he would have referred to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as a conspiracy theorist. Well, there is a conspiracy related story that I have had on my list of things to bring to you all week long, which I just have not had the opportunity to, so uh, this strikes me as good of an opportunity as any. Very strange. Very strange. Neatly folded notes crammed with just about every conspiracy theory and internet buzzword imaginable keep popping up in rural Pennsylvania Some illegally tucked inside cereal boxes and others pinned to pine trees in state and local parks. Unfolded, the notes are indecipherable, containing a coded run-on sentence of secret societies, sci-fi movie mentions, and name drops like Musk, Bill Gates, and Oprah. One line reads, it's tied to Saturn, Lord of the Rings time. The FBI, the Federal Drug Administration, and elected officials in Pennsylvania are all aware of these notes. But no one's been caught in the act of actually planting them. So who's doing this? Who's responsible for these notes? Philadelphia, and I read this story in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and I think it was Ellen uh, from Ellen Metzger from the Facebook group, who was a former listener of the week and a great person, who first brought this story to my attention. But subsequently, a bunch of other people sent me this note too. But the first story I saw on it was in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and Philadelphia had their own strange note phenomenon with its Toynbee tiles, which were found embedded into city streets and eventually in other states with messages about Stanley Kubrick and Jupiter, mostly in the '90s and 2000s. And while the Toynbee tiles had kind of an art house vibe, these notes are a bit darker. Some notes mention international conflicts and hate groups and are often riddled with intentional misspellings and out-of-place apostrophes, making them all the more confusing. Amateur web sleuths have taken up this case, mostly on Reddit, and they've they've dubbed the bizarre messages the Skylekill notes or the Shylekill notes. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing the name of that community, but that's because so many initially were found in Skylekill and surrounding counties. 
one of these uh, Reddit groups reads, the content of the notes themselves, it's clear they're warnings, not threats. So the notes, which often differ slightly in content, have often been found in Huntington and Lycoming counties. One Reddit user mapped out where these notes have been found. Dozens of specific locations where notes have been found, including Walmarts, Goodwills, various other locations on the Appalachian and other trails. The bulk of the discoveries appear to be situated between Allentown and State College. You know, I have cousins that live not far from Allentown. I wonder if they've experienced this. If any of my cousins or my Uncle Joe are listening, because I know they live down there, feel free to call in and share your experience. 800-848-9222. Or, and honestly, anyone else that has found these notes, because this is really creepy. Really creepy. Zachary Zimmerman, 23 years old, was hiking in Lebanon County's Swatara State Park while squirrel hunting last month when he discovered a handful of the notes attached to trees and wrapped around stones. I picked it up and read it, and it really doesn't make any sense to me. That's what Zimmerman said. He said he thought about calling the Pennsylvania Game Commission or the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, but he didn't. He kept a few notes and left others in the woods. It's just a bunch of crazy stuff, he said. So it's not clear exactly when the notes began appearing in Pennsylvania. Some posts say 2015, and at least one recalled something similar happening in the 80s in the Poconos. But in December, a gentleman named Joe Miller found a note in a sealed box of Lucky Charms. Here's Joe Miller talking to WTAJ News about his finding. I mean, it just bothers me. I mean, the note really, it's not the note that really bothers me. It's just what was... It's, uh, these notes are found inside food, like kids' kids' food. I find this to be incredibly strange because apparently there's a lot of these notes. Do you think this is just one guy, one random guy that spends all his time writing out these conspiracy-laden notes and taping them to trees and sneaking them into cereal boxes? If so, why? What is he gaining by it? If not, is this a whole bunch of people? Is it three? Is it four? Is it 30? Can't imagine it's more than that. So while the elected officials have notified the FBI, a spokesperson for the FBI in Philadelphia told the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer she could neither confirm nor deny the existence of an investigation. I love when they say that. Uh, A spokesperson for Representative Matt Cartwright, who represents Pennsylvania in Congress, said an officer received an anonymous call reporting that 20 notes had been found on state game lands in Columbia County. So, so far, thankfully, there have been no reports of people getting sick from these notes, but you don't want to take any chances. And you don't want to. And uh, the most important thing is, I think you want to find out who's doing this. The FDA uh, is apparently aware of the situation. And on Reddit, at least one discussion asked whether the note's original creator or copycats might be in the group. Zimmerman, the gentleman that found those notes while hunting, said it seemed like a lot of work for one person. Right. That's exactly what I'm saying. And he wondered whether people were copying them and putting them out for attention. That's what I wonder. They say anyone who finds a note um, in Pennsylvania, particularly in a food item, 
is asked to call Pennsylvania's FDA Consumer Complaint Coordinator at 877-689-8073. That's 877-689-8073. But before you do that, call me. I'm curious if you found any of these notes and what your take on them was. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Norman, who's been holding. Hello, Norman. Hi, Frank. Uh, If you're sitting on death row, which of the following popular methods of execution would you choose for yourself? Hanging, firing squad, lethal injection, the electric chair, the new one, and finally some oldies but goodies. Burnt at the stake, the gas chamber, the guillotine, or draw and quartering? You know, I mean, I guess the popular answer is to say lethal injection, but I'm kind of a throwback, right? I'm kind of of another era. Some people have said I'm an old soul. I I would pick firing squad. I would pick firing squad and, you know, I, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I, you know, maybe I could see the idea of me being blindfolded. And whereas they give some people a cigarette when they're lined up against the firing squad, I would take a cigar. And uh, the people that are killing me ought to know that they're responsible. Now, I know what they do with most firing squads is not all of the rounds are lethal rounds. I think uh, maybe if there's t- five people firing at you, two of them have real bullets, three of them have blanks. But they should know that they're responsible for my death and they should feel bad about it. So I would absolutely pick um, firing squad. That's uh, that's probably what. Although then, I mean, what does that do in terms of my plan to be cryogenically frozen and to donate my organs to science? That probably does away with that. All right. I'm skipping firing squad. I'm going right back to lethal injection. Lethal injection it is. 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in just a minute. But uh, first, let me say hello to Ed, who's been holding. Hi, Ed. Oh, hi, Frank. Is it? Do you do you want me to ask you a question or? No, I mean it's your dime. What's on your mind? Oh, that's great. Well, I uh, I went into nine seventy today. You know, I met your friend Matt Sambolin. And, um, you know, they had a little career thing, and I've always been interested in the radio, and I've met great people there. You know, and also at 77 WABC, you work for the billionaire who, uh, John Katz and Matisse, and, and, met a couple Yeah, and a lot of other, and, and a lot of our other stations have great staff, too. The, sta- the staff at WCBM in Baltimore has been just incredibly supportive. Uh, the folks at KWAM uh, in Tennessee have been great. And uh, all our stations that we're on, we're very blessed to have great well, and very supportive staff. That is nice, I'll tell you that. I look at the Clint Eastwood movie in my life, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And um, when I was younger, we had, had The Ugly. I had kids going, come on, let's Go with us. We're going to break into this store. I said, no, no, I'll, I'll go home. My father will be throwing dirt on me in the backyard. <laughs> He'll murder me. Uh, and, you know, the bad people, they kind of drain you. You you push them off, like, um, uh, get distance. And I surround myself with good now. And that's what I felt about, you know, meeting people at the railroad sta- at the uh, at the station. Uh, your friend, uh, what I get from, you know, people in 77 also. And I was wondering... What was in the the, the the little that that kernel of yours that 
that got you to start in radio? I, I think that you were at nine seventy first, right? No, um, no, at that no. I was no. Uh, no. I um I went um to that station uh, with Curtis when he when he left uh, the station that we were working at in New York at the time, and um you know I had a lot of reluctance about going there because I had a good offer to stay at the station that we were working at and for for a lot more money, honestly. And uh, but I felt I owed it to Curtis, and I had some personal loyalty uh to curtis right. to uh to go there so um you know i certainly don't regret that and uh you know what you know i don't i don't like to spend a lot of time looking backwards and every experience that we have you know it makes us it makes us who we are right so whether it was the right decision or the wrong one it's the decision i made and here we are right so uh you, we're, we're all a product of where we come from 800-848-9222 uh, let me say hello before we get to robert f kennedy jr to uh to tom in new jersey hello there tom how you doing buddy good tom what's on your mind i'm good i'm, I'm good i just wanted to you know I, I wanted to go over j- just a couple of uh, some of your favorite old time and my favorite old time late night people because you're my favorite old late night person now but uh, but i had I, I just at the list of four my my favorite were long john you know art bell uh allison Steele, and then gene shepherd the uh, they they were my my favorite people as i because i'm an old i'm old old time like you and older than you yeah i mean those that's a great list art bell makes my list as well uh so does uh jay diamond uh brian whitman and um and doug mcintyre uh those are those are my four great question tom i appreciate it 800-848-9222 let me we'll squeeze in one more here and then we'll get to uh robert f kennedy jr joaquin is in the commonwealth of pennsylvania hi joaquin Frank, my buddy. Okay. You got indulged in a lot of pain right now. But anyway, uh Is anybody so, shocked he's in a, a lot of pain? For you. Anybody surprised? What would Frank say? Recently I heard an interchange between a uh, caller and a radio host. And it went it went badly. So anyway, uh Yeah, no, the host was actually talking about how there was a lack of a sense of humor in comedy these days. Everybody was so worried about being politically correct, you know, and touching on taboo subjects subjects. And so anyway, uh, the host went on to talk about a movie. And in my day, and even the people I run with now, if you would have viewed that movie, admitted to viewing it, and it didn't have three X's behind it, you would have lost your man card and your uh, heterosexuality would have been questioned. And unfortunately, the, the radio host, he got offended and hung up. Now, was he a hypocrite? Or did he just for a moment, you know, or, 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 yeah, exactly. Was he a hypocrite? In other words, he didn't have a sense of humor or he couldn't have a sense of humor about himself. You know, honestly, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, you know, I'm trying to come up with, just because you're in a lot of pain, I'm trying to find a way to care about what you're talking about. But I just, I honestly, I just don't care. I'm sorry to... Put it so bluntly, but I, I, if I'm not interested and I'm I'm sitting here with nothing else to do other than looking at you, uh, to listen to you, I, I can't imagine people that are scanning up and down the dial being um, being interested in that. I mean, I, I don't know. I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. We will talk with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. straight ahead. 
The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, all of the pundits, all of the so-called experts are saying that after New Hampshire, when Donald Trump has become the first non-incumbent in history on the Republican side of the ledger to win both the New Hampshire primary and the Iowa caucus, that he is the very, very, very likely favorite to be the nominee. What does that mean? It means the country is hurtling towards a rematch that poll after poll suggests that the plurality of Americans don't want. Trump versus Biden, too. What is the alternative? A guy called me the other day and says he's going to write in Donald Duck. I said, I'm not sure Donald Duck is eligible. What are the other alternatives? Well, very, very pleased uh, to be joined by a man who I've been very open about the fact I am very impressed with. He is not only a best-selling author, not only an attorney and an activist, but he's an independent candidate for president who happens to be leading among independents, leading among Generation Z and some millennials, and according to the approval, disapproval polling ratings that they go by, is actually the most popular presidential candidate in America today. I'm talking, of course, about independent candidate for president Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Mr. Kennedy, it's great to have you back on the program. Thanks for joining me. Frank, it's wonderful to be back with you. Last time we spoke on the radio, you were running as a a Democrat. You made the decision to kind of switch gears and run as an independent. A lot of old school Kennedy Democrats were counting on you to be the guy that helps take back the party and brings it back more in a Kennedy-esque direction. What led you to run as an independent rather than stick with the Democrats, the party that you've been a member of your whole life? Well, they, the Democratic Party was changing the rules to make sure that even if I won the uh, the votes in states like uh, New Hampshire, like Florida and other states, that I could not win any delegates. And actually, my campaign manager at the time, at the, from the beginning, Dennis Kucinich, the longtime Democrat, told me at the outset, they're never going to let you win in the party. They're going to rig it. And... Um, I I was really the last person in my campaign to say, okay, to throw in the towel and say, okay, we, I've got to go a different route. But, I, you know, I'm very happy with what we did because I think it frees me to talk about issues and to take positions on issues that are not in the tribal silos mm. and the corporate-controlled silos of both the Republican and Democratic Party, and it escapes the smoke-filled rooms and, uh, you know, all of the the funding from BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, the military contractors, and, 
you know, and the pharmaceutical companies that control both of the political parties. When I talked about the fact that you gave that speech about when you first decided to run as an independent, I said that I found that to be one of the most inspiring candidates speeches that I've ever heard a presidential candidate give in my lifetime. And a caller after caller said, yeah, I like what he said, too. But you have to do the rational thing and vote for a candidate that has a chance of winning. Address those folks, the folks that may like your message, but they don't view an independent candidate as having a path to victory. Do you view yourself as running to win the election or to make a statement? No, I'm running to win. I I wouldn't be running if I wasn't intending to win. My wife would not uh, would not put up with that for one. But um. Yeah, well, you know, as you pointed out, I'm leading already in the uh, six battleground states among all Americans under 45 years old. I I dominate, you know, by uh, eight or ten points in even in people under 35 years old. Both candidates, I dominate in the among independents, which today is the biggest political. This will be Frank the biggest. The first time in American history when independents are the biggest political party, larger than Republicans or Democrats. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm only, you know, the, the polls show me between 22 and 24 percent in the battleground state. Actually, you know, in Michigan, I'm 27 percent. But if I'm at 24 percent, which is my average, I'm only... 10 points ahead away from winning the election potentially because mm. all I need is 34 points to win. That means I have to take 4.5 points away from each from President Biden, President Trump over the next 10 months. And I've been taking a point a month in the poll. Plus, as you pointed out, my popularity is greater than each of them. And I think more and more Americans are you know, really fed up with having to choose between the least of of two possible evils and they want somebody who they like and who can inspire them and who's offering a new direction for the country. And I'll tell you another path to victory, Frank, if I, um, even if I get about 33 electors um, in certain states, it throws the election into a contingency election, and we believe that I win the contingency election. So if he goes to the if the, the House of Representatives, neither uh, President Trump nor President Biden can get 26 votes, and nobody will change their vote. And under the 12th Amendment, they cannot essentially can't leave the chamber until they decide. So in 1800, when when they did it, there were 26 consecutive votes uh, ultimately they have to they're going to have to decide on a uh, on a compromise candidate oh even if i failed to win uh 270 delegates i i still i think i'm the best bet to win a contingency election so in the house of representatives where they vote by state delegation even there though there are no state delegations that are headed by independence you actually think because of the polarization among democrats and republicans you could have a chance of slipping in as a compromise candidate yeah because neither side can get 26 votes 
Mm-hmm. So in each state gets one vote. So the congressional delegation uh, has to agree. And there are some states like Minnesota that have a split delegation that you know are not going to be able to disagree because no congressperson who's a Democrat can, can vote for Trump. Uh, they'll mm-hmm. lose their career and no uh, Republican congressman can vote for Biden so they'll, the, or they'll lose their career. So they're going to have to come up ultimately with a with a compromise candidate who everybody can agree on. And uh, you know, I anyway, I I think that I end up winning that contest. I know you got a lot going on, um, and I appreciate you being so generous with your time. A couple of other quick things that I want to run by you because we haven't had a chance to speak on the radio in a bit. If you had to boil down your campaign's theme to one message or one theme, if people are hearing you for the first time with new ears, now that it appears likely to be a Biden-Trump rematch, and now that you're starting to get ballot access in states like Utah and New Hampshire— what would the one message or one theme be of your campaign? It, it would be restoring the middle class in this country, you know, winding down the empire abroad, reinvesting in our industrial base, ending the chronic disease epidemic, which is beleaguering the middle class. We, when my uncle was president, 6% of Americans had chronic disease. Today, 60%. There's no nation in the world that has the kind of chronic disease burden that we do. We know where it's coming from. It's coming from toxics, from glyphosate, neonicotinoids, uh, high fructose corn syrup, all, all the, and NIH won't do the studies. And we we need to, um, and, you know, it's costing us $4.3 trillion a year. We were spending 4% of GDP on health care when I was a kid, when my uncle was president. We spend 20% today. It's totally bankrupting our country. The war machine is bankrupting our country. We need to focus on Americans, on making housing affordable. Uh, this generation of kids is not going to be able to afford a house. None of them are. This is, there's, housing prices have gone from 215000 two years ago to 400000 this year. And we've gone from 3% interest to now close to 8%. And the housing's being snapped up by... You know, Vanguard, Fidelity, BlackRock, and Arcade, and, and Blackstone, and uh, and State Street, and the biggest companies in the world that are targeted. They own 89% of the S&P 500, and they're now targeting single-family homes. And it's making homes unaffordable for Americans, and that's mm-hmm. wrong, and I'm going to fix it. This Saturday, you're doing a big rally in Charleston, West Virginia at 6.30 p.m. at the uh, Charleston Coliseum and Convention Center. We've got a lot of listeners in West Virginia uh, listening on uh, WWNR, 6.20 a.m. Even some of our listeners on WABC happen to be in uh, West Virginia. Um, What are people going to – what's this rally going to be like on Saturday? For people in our listening area that may want to participate, may want to attend, what can they expect? Hey, you know, I'll do a, a talk. I'll answer questions. Uh, I do selfies with everybody. It starts at 5.30 and it runs to 8.30. But, um, you know, it'll be fun. All of the rallies are very high energy. They're, they're a lot of fun. And people can go to Kennedy24.com and I hope to see you there. I have to ask you about this just because uh, a lot of people have been raising it with me. 
obviously you have been one of the loudest voices, not just during COVID, but even before that, raising concerns about the health and the efficacy of uh, some of the vaccines that uh, Americans, especially American children, are required to get. A lot of folks are blaming you, either directly or indirectly, for making vaccine skepticism cool again and blaming you for the uptick in measles that we're seeing. Are you to blame for the uptick in measles, sir? Oh, actually, no. In, in my position on vaccines, if you want a vaccine, you should be able to take it. But we should have good science so that you know what the risks are, what the risk profile and the benefits of that product really the kind of science that we need that we we mandate for every other medical product vaccines the only medical product that do not have to do placebo controlled trials prior to licensure and that's outrageous we've gone from three vaccines when i was a kid to 72 vaccines that are now mandated for our children today 72 doses of 16 vaccines and uh, and we need to understand what that's doing to public health what you know what the real impacts is the there's no evidence that a decline in vaccination has contributed to the rise in measles one of the problems with the measles vaccine is that it deprives mothers of maternal immunity so that babies who are born to vaccinated mothers are not born with immunity. If you get measles when you're a kid and you're a mother, you pass that immunity on to your child and they retain that immunity till they're four, three or four years old. So they never got, when I was a kid, little babies did not get measles, you know, in their first year of life. And now what's happening is because of the vaccines, the little tiny babies who are very vulnerable and can suffer brain damage and other injuries are getting are getting measles early. The vaccine also wanes. So I, there's got a waning rate of about 20 or 30 percent in older ages. So now older people are getting measles. And that, again, is dangerous for mumps and measles and these other diseases. You're supposed to get them when you're younger. They actually, you know, they infer, they, they confer on people who get them immunity to other diseases, too atopic diseases, to allergic diseases, to cardiac diseases, and to cancers. Okay, so there's lots and lots of studies out there that show there's a benefit in getting those at the proper age. And unfortunately, you know, the measles vaccine was supposed to eliminate measles, but it never did. And it would have never been approved if people knew that it was a leaky vaccine. So, you know, there's a lot of questions about it, and we ought to have good science, the best science on that, so there's no speculation and so that every American knows the answers to those questions and that doctors can individually make the best decisions for their patients. Uh, there are, obviously, I'm sure you're aware of the the rub on you in some quarters of the establishment media early on, which is that uh, you were saying things that were mildly anti-Semitic. Um, you know, the, a lot of people didn't appreciate the Anne Frank comparison and then the study that you cited regarding uh, Ashkenazi Jews and, and COVID. I had Rabbi, Rabbi Shmuley Boteak on this program who said, not only are you not an anti-Semite, you're the most pro-Israel candidate ever to run for president in history. And um, in the wake of October 7th, 
some people who had been supporters of yours have taken issue with that. One fella um, who's kind of a public person wrote to me who was very supportive of you and says, I'm no longer supporting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. because of his support for the apartheid state of Israel. It's not my words, that's his. But there are some people that don't like what Israel's doing, that don't like what the Netanyahu's government is doing, and they see you as not necessarily being an appropriate um, you know, a, a backstop on the uh, atavistic nature of the Netanyahu government. What do you say to those folks, folks that may like yeah, you I'm, on both I'm domestic not, policy and – go ahead. Yeah, fan, Frank, I'm not a fan of the Netanyahu government. And, you know, I have been very critical of that government in the past. But in terms of Hamas, and, you know, I think right now about 80 percent of Israelis are not fans of the Netanyahu government. I don't think he could be elected, reelected today. But virtually everybody in Israel is supportive of the of the action to eliminate Hamas. Now, I really don't see how anybody thinks. Eddie Israel has any choice. Hamas did not just start on October 7th. They've been bombing Israel for 16 years. Oh, they declared war on Israel in 2006 when they took over the Gaza government. They've sent 30,000 rockets onto many of them to Tel Aviv, which is twice the population density of, of Gaza. The Israelis have been trying not to invade. They created the Iron Dome. No other country in the world would do this. Most countries of a little tiny neighbor started bombing them and sending terrorists over to murder their civilian citizens, which has aerial bombard them and level them. Israel has created and said this very expensive Iron Dome defend itself it's you know they, they it, Hamas fires missiles that cost it six or eight hundred dollars a piece and each one of them costs forty thousand dollars to shoot down and that's what Israel has done to avoid invading Gaza but you know God Hamas and by the way I'm very very pro-Palestinian you know I have a long history of support for Palestinians and I love the Palestinian people I've been to the West Bank I've met with Palestinians all over Israel and West Bank and Ramallah, including the Palestinian leadership. But I'm anti-Hamas. Hamas is is victimizing and stealing from the, the Palestinian people. Frank, the Palestinian people have gotten more money than any people in the world from the international aid agency. So we gave in 2023 dollars, we rebuilt Europe after the World War II with the Marshall Plan. We provided in 2023 dollars, $621 per capita to all the citizens of 17 countries that were demolished during World War II. And in the last 20 years, we've given per capita to every Palestinian. Why aren't they? And and Gaza should be an incredibly rich place. Gaza is at the confluence of the Suez Canal, the Mediterranean, its beautiful white sand beaches. Israel, when it left Gaza in 2006, offered to rebuild the port to make it the Singapore. It donated 3,000 hothouses, state-of-the-art. Gaza to make it totally food self-sufficient. It left behind these beautiful farms, and you know it should be an extraordinary wealthy. But what's happened? Hamas 
has taken all that money, spent most of it on weapons, and by building an entire city, subsurface city, 300 miles of tunnels, to attack Israel. Hamas's charter requires it to eliminate the Jews, annihilate Israel. Its it's charter says that it's against Islamic law to even negotiate with Israel. So how do you negotiate? And, And then Hamas's leadership is profiting on all this. Ismail Hainia, who runs Hamas, has, according to Forbes, $5 billion net worth. The top three people at Hamas have an $11 billion net worth collectively. Mahmoud Abbas, who's the head of the West Bank, you know, the uh, Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, is a billionaire. His sons have $750 million each. Um, Yasser Arafat died a billionaire. His wife is a billionaire. So, you know, we know this is why there's poverty in Gaza. And by the way, Israel is the opposite of a apartheid state. Every other state in the region is an apartheid state. Every one of them has an official religion and has has sanctions. In Jordan, there's not a single Jew. And, mm. and there's a death penalty for selling land to a Jew. That's an apartheid state. Israel doesn't have any laws like that. Israel has 2 million Palestinians. In Israel, they have every right that every Jew has, including more rights, because they don't have to serve in the military, and they can pray at the Temple Mount. Jews can. And and the Palestinians get a vote. They serve in the Knesset. They serve on every court. They have complete freedom of speech. They have freedom of expression. There is no official bigotry whatsoever mm. against Palestinians in Israel. So calling them an apartheid state and then not calling all the neighboring states. There's, there are 27 states in that region that have an official religion. You know what the one exception is? Israel. There mm-hmm. is no official religion in Israel. I'm, so, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I asked you the question. I know you have to run. Uh, if people want to see you, they can uh, come out to the Charleston Coliseum and Convention Center Saturday night. Then get more information at Kennedy24.com. Mr. Kennedy, I'm going to end on a very light note. Uh, president Trump was the first president, and I think over 100 years, not to have a White House pet. Uh, president Biden had a dog that had some behavioral behavioral issues, kept biting Secret Service agents. If there's a Kennedy presidency, what will the White House pet be, sir? Well, I, you know, I got a lot of animals, Frank. I got I got a lot of hawks and falcons, and I got a lot of dogs. So I'm not, you know, when my cousins were in the White House, we had ponies there, and we had parrots and, and dogs, and uh, so I'm going to see what I can get away with and what, what the public will bear. <laughs> All right. Well, ho- hopefully a whole White House zoo. Best of luck to you on Saturday and in the campaign, sir. I hope we get to talk a great deal. Thank you, Frank. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano.
If you want to comment on um, anything we're talking about, I'd love to hear from you. 800-848-9222. One thing I'll mention, you know, my sister-in-law, who is, uh, you know, like all of my other in-laws, grew up as uh, an evangelical Christian. She is an Orthodox Jew. I've talked about her before. And uh, she and her husband have uh, a little boy, you know, a bit younger than Carmine, lovely little boy. And... She has, you know, just reminded listening to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. talking about the Israel situation. She has started sharing a lot of content on social media that is critical of of Israel and the way they're conducting this war. And she did this whole video on Instagram all about all the nasty comments and the nasty notes that she's getting from friends both new friends and older friends. And basically, she basically makes a plea to her friends, who are ostensibly the people that you'd expect to follow her on social media, that if you know if you don't like what I'm saying, you don't have to DM me and tell me how dumb I am and make fun of me. You can just keep scrolling. And I really, I felt bad for her because, one, this is the last thing that a new mom needs to be dealing with is getting getting all this hate mail from her, you know, her compatriots and her friends. But I felt bad because, unfortunately, this has become the norm in social media. And I look at the conversations that people have in our Facebook group. And look, I'm the nicest guy on the radio. But you look at the, the way, how angry people get at disagreeing with one another. And it's absolutely staggering. And I would just ask that whenever you interact with someone on social media that you don't agree with, why do you have to get nasty? Just point out you disagree. Here's why I disagree. You don't have to make it personal. If you and I disagree on a very fundamental issue, whether the world was round, you don't have to say, oh, you're a dope, da 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 This is why I think the world is round. Here's the evidence supporting it. Just post that. I don't know where this came from, this desire to be nasty all the time. So uh, not just uh, because my sister-in-law put out that plea, but really for everybody. Whatever people's positions are, it's their positions. Explain why they're wrong. You don't have to attack them at all. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Elliot is in Nassau. Hi, Elliot. Yeah, hi. How are you today? I just heard your interview with Robert Kennedy. My question is this. You see, seem to ask him loaded questions to um, exonerate him from statements, which at least from my perspective, when he held that press dinner and uh, reporters heard him say 
that the virus, the COVID virus, was engineered to uh, hit blacks and whites and engineered so as not to hit Chinese and Ashkenazi Jews. Um, I mean, that's a pretty straight out statement. Why wouldn't you, if you do consider yourself a good interviewer, why wouldn't you hold his feet to the fire and say, what possessed you to say that? Well, uh, were, a few what? things. Uh, first of all, I've never claimed to be a good interviewer, right? I've ne- I just ask the questions that I'm curious about. If that makes me a good interviewer or a bad interviewer, I'll let people make their own judgment. Two, because he's addressed that statement in about 50 other interviews, Three, because I've had not three, not four, but five different guests all address that. And uh, most important, because I had a limited amount of time with him and I knew that he would start citing all of these studies in support of the thing that he said. And I didn't want to spend 25 minutes listening to him cite all these studies. Thanks, Elliot. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Stewart is in the Queens. Hello, Stewart. Hey, Frank. So on Bobby Kennedy Jr., I'm a Republican who is potentially interested in voting for him. I am dying to know, um, would he uh, look to get the no labels to cross endorse him? I mean, why doesn't he approach no labels and simply and simply say, look, there's not enough room in the room for two major independent tickets. Let's negotiate on who my vice president will be, because if there's going to be a no labels ticket plus him, that's going to get neither of them nowhere. Am I correct? Uh, yes and no. Right. I mean, I think if there's two third party candidates and, you know, a lot of uh, yeah, I have this whole third party email list that I email articles to. And one of the people on this list, another third party activist wrote Back to me, essentially the same thing, that he thinks that the none of the above candidates are going to dilute the vote among themselves. Everyone talks about the third party candidates splitting votes from Trump or Biden. This guy, uh, this fellow, this smart guy, his name's Dan. Dan basically said what no one's talking about is I think the other category, which could make its way up to 35 percent of vote, that may splinter. Um <clears throat> As far as no labels goes, you know, John Katzmatidis actually asked Kennedy about this when he had him on his show. And basically, Kennedy said what I thought he would say, which is that no, no labels is not at all anti-establishment. They're very much a that kind of corporate friendly centrism that Kennedy is running against. You know, um, Kennedy in some ways is running as an anti-establishment populist that has elements of the left wing and elements of the right wing. What No Labels is doing and their whole process for how they're going to end up picking a candidate is still very opaque and not at all transparent. So it's not as if Kennedy got his million followers to all sign up to no labels and vote for him that they would they could still veto whoever the pick is uh, even if um, even all Kennedy's people become members of no labels and vote for him they're not looking for a Robert F. Kennedy they're looking for an establishment type a go along to get along politician like a John Huntsman like a Nikki Haley like a Joe Manchin like a Larry Hogan a very centrist establishment person that doesn't want to dismantle Washington, but that wants Washington to go back the way it was pre-2015. That's that's my, and, and again, that's basically what Kennedy had told John Katzmatidis previously. 800-848-9222. David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hi, David. Um, hello, Frank. Okay. A couple of things really quick. 
one of the things that really bothered me uh, about this interview is that he basically admitted what his strategy is to win the presidency, which is, A, a very bad strategy. He thinks he's going to get enough votes to cause the election to go to the House, which is currently under Republican control. How does that work without Trump becoming president due to that strategy? Those of us who think he's a Trojan horse for Trump and people like Trump, we just got confirmation through your interview. I hope that makes national news because he just came out and said the quiet part out loud. Well, the other thing is what he ahead, said about ahead, measles mm-hmm. is not true. That's easily checkable, what he said about measles immunity and, and, and through vaccination versus the mother. And the last thing is you didn't ask him, and uh, you and I have discussed this, about Jeffrey Epstein and what his connections are to Jeffrey Epstein. It's unfortunate that did not come out. Well, I actually had that on my list, and uh, you and I actually emailed about that. I did not expect him to uh, go as long as he did on the um, Israel uh, answer, so I actually thought that I was going to have time to explore one or two more uh, subjects. So I-, I will ask him about that the next time he's on the show, and he said he's going to come on the show again. Um as far as, though, the House of Representatives picking the president, first of all, I agree with you. It's not a good strategy. But the House, as I understand it, the number of delegations that are Republican, because remember, it's one state, one vote. It's not, you know, every person, every member gets to cast its own vote. The number of states that are Republican, I believe right now, is 20, either 25 or 26. I'd have to double check. And remember, it will be the new House the one that's elected in November that that switches. So he pointed out Minnesota where the delegation is split. I don't know if that means they would go for Trump or Biden, but look, it, it's an unorthodox strategy. It, I was surprised to hear him say that, but um, it's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. All right. Um, those of you that um, didn't get a chance to be heard, I'll try and get to you after the top of the hour. We also have denunciations coming your way and a whole lot more. Until next hour. In the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.